You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And so we're going to talk about the very best song. Now, this book that we're looking at was written in the year 971 to 931 BC. So we're literally reading something that is about 3,000 years old. Let that sink in for a second. This is 3,000 years old. It was written probably by Solomon, but people debate who exactly wrote this. There's some different views on what this text is about. The, the ancient Jewish tradition believed that it was an allegory between God and Israel. The ancient Christian tradition believed that it was an allegory between Jesus and the church. But the more that scholars study it, what they discover is that it's not just about our relationship with God. It's, it's actually about a husband and a wife who, who really love each other and are experiencing the gift of love. That I told you last week that there's three words that every single husband and wife in a successful marriage, they cling to. They hold on to these words. And the three words are this, you before me. It's as simple as that. It's three words that if you look at every successful marriage in your life right now, whether it's your parents, it's a mentor, it's a leader, um, it's a cousin or somebody in your life, and you go, man, they have a great marriage. It's because they have made a bold commitment as individuals to hold to these three words, to say that in every single moment of our marriage, I will always have the mindset it's you before me. This means when, when somebody's needs get to be put first, it's your needs before my needs. This means if there's a debate and there's a challenge going on and, and there's some difference that just, it seems like you can't get on the same page about, you ask yourself the question, you before me. It's, it's, it's Tuesday night when, when the trash has to get out, and it's been so windy and cold, and I'm like, man, it'd be awesome if Sarah took the trash out so I could stay in my jammies. I go, no, no, no. I got to think about you before me. You see, that's what every single marriage holds at its core is a you before me mentality. Now, as we jump into the text, we're going to discover this couple going from being engaged to being married, and then to them actually talking about sex. And so let's read some of these passages together. In Song of Songs, the opening of the book, we discover how she talks about him. Now, as you're beginning to think about you in the future being married, I recognize that even as I'm talking about this, y'all are pretty far away from getting married. My hope is that we're planting some seeds tonight that you begin to kind of allow to internalize in you and you think about the kind of marriage you want to have, maybe looking a little bit like this. Listen to how she talks about him. Now, again, I'm telling you, some of the words, these are not my words. These are literally from your Bible. This is what it talks about. Y'all should read it more. Less Bachelor, more Jesus. This is just what happens. How does she talk about him? Listen to this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry Let the king bring me into his chambers. Number one, what she says is she is blessed by him. That being in his presence, his love for her is a blessing. So as you're thinking about your future marriage, you want it to be with somebody. If you're a man, you want it to be with a woman. If you're a woman, you want it to be with a man who is a blessing to you. This means they got to know God. They have to be in a close relationship with Jesus to ultimately bless you the way that God desires. But then listen to what she says in verse 3. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. You know what she's saying? She's saying he's got a great reputation. She's saying that when, when people who are not near him begin to talk about his name, It's nothing but positives. They're talking about how he builds people up, how he encourages, how he's a gift to the world. Ladies, don't settle for a loser who like, you think, man, it's just really cool when we're together, but every time you mention his name in another group, everyone's like, really, that guy? That guy needs some work to do. Let him do some work. Don't choose to love him. Don't choose to fall in love with him. You want his name to be like a blessing. And then she says this in verse four. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Now, there's something kind of weird in our culture right now that says men are supposed to like have these desires for women, like these passionate desires for romance with women. But ultimately, women are supposed to remain kind of reserved, What we see in this passage is she wants him. Ladies, she wants him. She is attracted to him. She is interested in him. She is passionate about him. Young men and young women, the desire that you have to be in a relationship, the desire that that you have for even sex is actually a good thing. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. It's not gross It's not to be made the God of your life. It is good that it is something God has given you. And as she is engaged to this man, the fact that she desires to be with him is not something to be cursed. It's something that God honors and calls good. But then check out what happens next. Not only does she have these feelings for him, but in verse 4, we find out how their friends feel about them. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. You know what we're learning here? The friends are all for it. They're all for it. When I, um, and I should have said this last week, I meant to, um, when I wanted to date Sarah. So there's my wife, Sarah. Can everyone say hi, Sarah, real quick? Hi, Sarah. So Sarah and I have been married almost 11 years. We've been dating for almost 13 years. And um, when, when I wanted to date Sarah, I was like 21 years old, and um, I called her parents, this is just to ask her to be my girlfriend. I called her parents, and I said, hey, I would really like to ask Sarah to be my girlfriend. Are you guys okay with that? Then I called each one of her sisters. I asked them the same question, because I wanted it to be a family kind of situation. I wanted to be in good with their family. When it came to proposing, when it came to proposing, I sat down with her parents, and I sat down with each of her sisters, 
and said, this is my intention. My intention is to love Sarah, is to be faithful to Sarah, is to take care of Sarah, is to marry Sarah. Do I have your blessing? You see, students, this is why it's so important that you don't just see your relationships as you plus that other person, but that you see it as you plus that person and God and his community are a part of that. Would your friends, would your friends say that they're happy that you're in a relationship? Before I proposed to Sarah, I talked with her family, and then I talked with three or four of my best friends. I said, you guys, I'm crazy about Sarah. I'm crazy about her. I want to make her my wife. I am so excited to be with her. What do you think? And you guys, it was terrifying. Because I gave them permission in that moment to say, I don't think you guys are good together. I'm not sure now's the right time. But I desired to have the kind of relationship where friends would speak into it and where it would ultimately be a blessing for them. Check out what happens next as the story unfolds. She becomes emotionally vulnerable. Listen to the words that she says. Maybe you'll be able to relate to some of these. She said, dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tenth curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. So she's not talking about her race right now. She's not necessarily talking about her ethnicity. What she's referring to is the fact that her skin color was dark because she was working outside. Her skin might have been a little bit rougher. And, and there may have been other girls that had lighter skin who, who didn't have to work outside, but she had to work outside. It was a vulnerable topic for her. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyards, I had to neglect. And so she feels vulnerable. See, what we see here is this isn't a marriage or really an engagement, a relationship, where they're always putting their best foot forward and pretending No, 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 they're being honest with each other. She's being vulnerable about her struggles. She's being vulnerable about the stuff she has going on. And I remember as Sarah and I were, as we were leaning into marriage, as we were preparing for marriage, we had to have some really tough conversations with each other about insecurities that we both had. And there were moments in those conversations where we thought, I wonder if the person would walk away. You see, it was so important that we were honest with each other. You see, no great marriage is built off of secrets. It's built off of transparency and honesty. And then listen to how he responds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Ooh la la, right? I know, it's it's 3,000 years ago. Essentially what he's saying is he's saying, girl, you are the Clydesdale of horses. Like you are like, you are awesome, right? He's saying, girl, you are, there, there, there were these chariot horsemen. There were these chariot horses that were the most prized. They were the most prized creatures in that day. And he says, girl, you're like that? Then listen, verse 10. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold and studded with silver. I've tried to have a biblical marriage with Sarah, and so sometimes I'm like, girl, you're like a Clydesdale. You know what I mean? Like she's got, Sarah's got these beautiful teeth that are like these just awesome Clyde. She's just, 
but you know what, it doesn't really work. 3,000 years later, it doesn't really work. But then listen to what he says. He says, we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. You see, he wants to give her gifts. He wants to speak positively about her. And he really sees her. Verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. You see, what we're learning is he notices her. He notices her. I remember Sarah and I went on a date once. Um, it, was, it was like right as we were beginning to date. And I, it was nighttime, and I was driving us to a restaurant. And I just said, Sarah, you have the most beautiful eyes. I said, you have the most beautiful eyes. And then literally she stared forward, and she said, what color are they? <laughs> and you guys, you guys. I froze. I couldn't remember. And so I was like, those baby blue eyes are just awesome. And she's like, they're not blue. And I said, mm, those green, those green lantern eyes are just gorgeous. She's like, they are not green either. And I was like, are they brown? Like brown? She's like, yeah, they're brown, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. This guy, this guy's way better than me because he notices her. He pays attention to her. He loves on her by noticing the details. And then we discover that she is attracted to all of him. Listen to how she describes him. She says, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. So it's not just his looks, it's his personality. And our bed is verdant. That literally means our bed is green. Like our bed is ready. Like she's like, I'm ready to have sex. Like that's just what she's saying. And again, what I love is this is in the context. Hold on, hang with me, hang with me. This is not in the context of two people that started DMing each other on Instagram, right? This is two people that are preparing for marriage. So what does the marriage look like? Let's read this passage together. Song of Songs, chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. She's saying literally just being near you, being close to you is a gift to me. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me, his love, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. What she is saying here is I am falling in love with this man and we are preparing for marriage, but make sure you don't push those boundaries until the proper time, until you are ready to commit for the lifetime of marriage. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke, and he said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. 
See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face, let me hear your voice, let your, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Do you hear the way? that they are describing each other. This is the beginning of their wedding ceremony. They're articulating their love for each other. The season is right. The time has come. They both love God. They're ready to commit for the long haul to each other. This isn't just about feeling attraction for one another. This is a choice. This is a choice with God and their community and their commitment to each other at the very center of it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, there's a long passage about marriage that I would encourage you to read, but it begins this way. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the bedrock of every great marriage is mutual submission that the husband submits to the wife, that the wife submits to the husband, and that together they remember that they submit to each other as a way of worshiping God. Because ultimately, they're both in total submission to Christ. But then, in the story, in the Song of Songs, there's a danger, a potential danger in marriage. It's just this one verse It says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in blossom. So you make no mistake about it, students, when you choose to get married, you make a lifelong commitment to that person. It's not that person plus pornography. It's not that person plus a side girl or side boy. It's not that person plus your work or whatever it would be that would occupy your time and your attention, whether that's having an affair, money. You see, in in marriage, there will be these little foxes that will come up, that will try to get in the way of what God has brought together. And here, the woman, she says, catch those foxes and get those foxes out of here. So then what we're going to read is after they've been engaged and they're married, Now they begin to talk about sex. And what we're going to see is that this is God's design for sex. And I understand that what I'm about to say is incredibly controversial and is not widely accepted in our culture. But I think many of you have seen how people who have treated sex so casually, who believe they would not be hurt in the process, have ultimately experienced deep wounds. You see, this is God's design for sex that it would be in marriage, that it would involve emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. That you can't separate those two. You see, one of the problems with pornography is that it's with somebody you're not married to and there's no emotional intimacy. It's using somebody as a tool. You see, God's design for sex is that it would be in marriage with emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. Now, These words that we're about to read, again, it's a lot. It's just in the Bible. I'm just going to kind of read how it goes. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 4. 
How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills. Gentlemen, write these ones down. These are going to be great to text later, okay? This is going to help you guys. This is going to help you guys. Your teeth, I'm going to use this one for Sarah. Your teeth, babe, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Whoa, girl! Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Listen, your lips, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your, he he sees her temples. Like, what? This guy's the man, dude. This is way better than Peter on The Bachelor right now. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, dude. Hold out, Madison. You know what I mean? All right, keep going, keep on. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Verse 5, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. I'm like getting red. Okay, here we go. Verse (laughs) 6, until the day breaks, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinner, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of the leopards. You have stolen my heart. And then listen to this word, my sister. You have stolen my heart, my sister and my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel on your necklace, of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. What, what he's saying here is he's saying, I don't just love you for how attractive you are. I love you because of the intimacy, the friendship that we have. You see, I think, I think behind every successful marriage is a deep friendship. And, and here's the thing. After being married for almost 11 years, Sarah and I have experienced romance. We've experienced challenges in our relationship. We've experienced up and downs. But both of us, I think if you were to ask her right now, our favorite thing about our marriage is we're best friends. Our favorite thing about our marriage is we have this friendship with each other where we truly care about each other and truly love each other. Not just for the sexual intimacy, but for the emotional intimacy for the relationship that we have. Verse 12, it says this. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What he's talking about here is that she's a virgin. He's saying you're a virgin. And I wanted to pause here because there's some of you here who, like that's your story. Like you're you're a virgin right now. You know, Sarah, um, this is one of my favorite stories that I remember her telling me early on. She said that she had uh, 10 friends in high school that she was really, really close with. And one day, all 10 of them were sitting around in a circle, and they were going around, and they were making a decision about whether they were going to sleep with their boyfriends or have sex before marriage. And eight of the 10 said, you know what? I want to wait, but if I find the right guy... You know, maybe, but I I really want to wait until I'm married. And then Sarah and one of the other girls said, no, I'm waiting. It doesn't matter who comes my way. I'm waiting until marriage. 
those eight girls who said, I really want to wait, but we'll see, all of them chose to have sex before marriage. I don't tell you that. Let me speak first to those of you that, that haven't had sex yet. I want to encourage you to make that decision tonight. Not because, and this is like the old youth pastor lie, is like, just don't have sex until you get married, and then it's going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be amazing, and like, it's going to be rainbows, and you're just going to have sex every second. It's going to be awesome. That's not what's going to happen. In fact, in fact, can I just be real with you guys? Some of you will wait to have sex until you're married, and it will be really, really difficult for you. But you're not making a decision to wait to have sex until you get married because of some promise of it being like the most amazing thing you've ever experienced. I want you to make that decision because it's worshipful to Jesus. See, a question that can really guide and shape your life is, does this worship Jesus? Just ask yourself about anything you're doing in your life. Does this worship Jesus? In marriage, sex worships Jesus. Jesus. It's one of the ways that a married couple honors God because we're commanded to do it. <laughs> it's not like during sex you're singing like, hallelujah. You know, it's not like that, right? <laughs> that's not, that's not, we, we think of worship as like singing a song. You know what I mean? You're not like, waymaker, here I go. No, no, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. But, well, hopefully you're not doing that. That's just a little weird. But, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Students, hold on, hold on, hold on to this, hold on to this, this is truth. Hold on, hold on. Worship is not singing a song, worship is obedience to Jesus. Worship is not when you sing a song, it's when you're obedient to Jesus. And so sex, in marriage, between a husband and a wife, we're commanded to have sexual intimacy in our marriages, ero de facto, it's worshipful to Jesus. So students, some of you, you haven't had sex yet. I would encourage you to choose to worship Jesus, to choose to not buy the lie in our culture that sex is the most important thing. Now there's some of you here who you've already had sex. Maybe you're having sex right now or maybe it was a part of your past. Can I just remind you that God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that God God did not send his son to die on a cross for you because you're perfect. He sent his son to die on a cross because your sin drove him there. But it was the fact that you were caught up in your sin and your sin created a distance between you and him that broke his heart. You see, Jesus went to the cross not to make you feel guilty, but so that you could experience his grace. God doesn't hold grudges, he hands out grace. And so if you've had sex, maybe you had sex this weekend. If you're truly repentant, if you say, Jesus, would you please forgive me of that? It's given to you. You're completely forgiven. And on your wedding day someday, you'll will talk, you will talk with your spouse about this. You'll, you'll share at some point in your relationship about your sexual past. But I can guarantee you that if you were to tell them, you know, I slept with this person or I slept with these few people, but then I made a decision in high school. I made this decision that I was going to stop that and I was gonna live a life of worshiping Jesus. 
there will be some pain and some baggage that you'll bring into your marriage because of that past. But I guarantee your spouse will feel that you chose to love them long before you even knew them. That you chose to to worship Jesus when it was uncomfortable and challenging. And so students, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't had sex yet, make a commitment to worship Jesus and to wait. And if you have, know that if you ask God for forgiveness, he gives it to you right away. And that he can restore anything that he can redeem anything. Verse 16. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. This couple has sex. And it's described in the Bible in these very poetic words. But make no mistake about it, the Bible is not afraid of talking about sex. Your parents might be afraid of talking about sex. The Bible is not. And so we in this ministry, we're not going to be afraid of talking about it. Your leaders are not going to be afraid of talking about it because the scriptures talk about it because it matters to God. Students, you need to remember this. Sex isn't the glue of this relationship, it's the celebration of this relationship. For some of you that are in relationships right now where you're having sex, it's the glue that's holding you together. It's not a celebration of that relationship. It's a desperate attempt to hold on to something. And what you're ultimately looking for is a committed relationship where sex isn't the glue holding you together, it's a celebration of that commitment that you've made. The Bible affirms over and over again that sex is not gross, it's not God, but it is good. Student, sex is good in the context of marriage. It is good. And some of us have these warped views that it's gross, we should avoid it, or that it's God, it's absolutely everything. The biblical view is that it's good. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 4, Paul says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Now, in this culture 2,000 years ago, that was kind of a duh. That was an assumption. In fact, women were oftentimes treated as property. So to write, yeah, a woman's body doesn't belong to her own, but it belongs to her husband. Everyone has said, yeah, we kind of get that. We know that. And then what Paul says next would have blown their minds in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. This is going back to the you before me. It's thinking of the other before yourself. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn about God's design for sex and marriage. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone. This is the first time Adam has ever seen a woman in his life. He's just been staring at like porcupines and pigs and elephants for a long time. He's been naming the weirdest aardvark animals ever. And then all of a sudden, he sees a woman. He's like, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, right? He's like, whoa, this girl. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one 
flesh. This, this word in the Hebrew language, one, is akad. And it means two things. It means permanence and passion. Oneness in the context of marriage is intended to have permanence and passion. You see, a marriage with a lot of passion but no permanence is lacking, is scary. You're full of fear. But at the same time, a marriage with all the permanence in the world and no passion, it's boring. It's missing out on what God designs for you. And so couples that are having problems in their sex life, they need to talk with people about that because God desired them for permanence and passion. Now, students, no marriage is perfect. What we find out, I'm going to let you read this on your own, is these two, they actually get in a fight. And it's a fight over sex. He, he shows up, he shows up, and he really wants to have sex. And she's like, I really want to go to sleep. And that's an issue. And all of a sudden, they get in this argument. And she like runs. Isn't this cool? This is the Bible, right? Like they get in this fight. They get in this issue. And what's, what we discover is that they weren't communicating very well. Something that Sarah and I, not just with sex, but in every part of our relationship, we do something called expectation conversations. We're going into uh, a, a weekend, going into uh, an event with our family, going into a tough conversation, going into a date night. We have expectation conversations. I would actually encourage you to do these with your friends. Expectation conversations are your way of saying, hey, what do you expect out of this time that we're hanging out? You, you see, sometimes you as friends, you hang out and one person is just really hoping for a deep conversation because there's some stuff that they need to kind of get off their shoulders and share with you. And you're coming in saying, I just want to have a good time tonight. I just want to have fun and laugh. Sometimes it's important to sit down with each other and say, hey, what are you hoping for out of this night? Do you have some things you need to share? Are you looking for us to just have some fun? In marriage, I think this is an incredibly important principle, expectation conversations, where we sit down, Sarah, what's that quote about expectations? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Un unspoken expectations. I know. Oh, what is it? All right, see if you can remember it. Um, it's good. It's worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. So students, I want to challenge you to have, to think about, you got it? All right, what is it, Sarah? Ooh, all right, say that again. So I would say like unspoken expectations are premeditated resentment. Ooh, that's good. So that's why in marriage, in sex, it's all about communication. Now, before we break into life groups, next week, next week, do not miss it. Bring your friends here. Here's why. We will have a guest speaker. Hold on, hold on. We will have a guest speaker. And what, what he is going to be talking about is his story. This man, this man, over a number of years, became the vice president of one of the largest nightclubs in the world. One of the largest nude girls nightclubs in the world. He was the vice president of this. He had all the sex, all the drugs, all the money, all the alcohol, anything that the world could say you could ever want, he had all of it, and it left him empty until he met Jesus. And he is going to come here next Wednesday and share his story, his struggles with lust, 
pornography and that whole journey, and then you guys will be able to ask questions. So do not miss next Wednesday. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these students. I pray, I know we have very little time for life group, but I pray that the conversations would be meaningful and that we would have some deep, helpful, insightful discussions with each other around the topics of marriage and sex and how you designed it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, we love you. Hey, if you don't have a life group, I have one for you. Come up and see me. Also, if you want to get baptized, you need to let me know tonight. Let me know tonight.